Good evening, horror movie fans. This is your first step on a journey that will take you from Crystal Lake to Haddonfield, Elm Street to the deepest, darkest heart of Texas, and the Bayou, Europe, Chicago, coastal California, and various isolated points in between. We are about to share a tour of the slasher film universe, and there will be no grubby corner of this deranged world left unseen. It's a deep dive into a horror movie genre the way only the March Mad Men will do it. Hope you're ready to revel in all the chilling, thrilling, and silly details of these movies from the past and present. I know I am. And who am I? I am your faithful host, John Evans, and I am joined by two remarkably well-versed sources of horror film analysis. First, screenwriter Vikram Wheat, who has written several actual horror movies you can find on your streaming platforms right now. Seriously, IMDb this dude. And second, Rich Eckersley, who has a host of credits of another kind, as Rich is an Emmy-nominated TV and documentary producer. Gentlemen, we're like those guys waving to their families as their ship leaves port bound for the wastes of the Arctic Circle, where we're sure to lose our minds as the months go by. The last voyage for this show was a year. Who knows how long we'll be at sea this time, but I do know it's going to be an odyssey for sure. Vic, tell me how you feel about what we're in for here. John, I am so fucking excited for this. <laughs> like, it's, it's been so long since we have been recording, and it's, it's the, the anticipation of this, the research, the build-up, the discussions, so many drunken conversations about... What actually constitutes a slasher film that, that we've already come to blows several times? John was in traction for a while. It's not worth getting into, but uh, it's just really exciting to be on the cusp of doing this again. And I, I think it's it's a little bit like childbirth, where you do it and it's like this huge monumental task, and it's awful and it destroys you physically and mentally. And then somehow a year later, you've sort of forgotten all that. And you just remember how fun it was to be drinking and talking about horror movies with you guys. So that's a, that's what I'm that's what I'm comparing it to. We are about to birth another season of March Madness. <laughs> well, if there's uh, anything that men are qualified to talk about, it's childbirth, right? <laughs> no, no, it's a great metaphor. It really is. Rich, uh, yeah. what, how, what are you thinking and feeling right now? <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know. Maybe it's because I didn't get the epidural, but like I felt every minute of it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't know that's such a good idea. Like, I'm down for it. I'm along for the ride. I'll be honest with you. I think this one is maybe in some ways is going to be a more interesting journey. I think the realms of strangeness with which we'll reach those grubby little corners are, are grubbier and deeper and darker and weirder than anything we explored in the first season. I mean, this is a whole different world we're talking about exploring sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Luckily, I think we're filtering the worst of it out for you and just bringing back the best. So I'm excited for that. I think that's the thing. This is a genre, as we get through it, is something that I think probably we collectively have the most like emotional connection with in our oh, totally. lives. And it's a really interesting thing to go back and re-examine. So, you know, I think that we're going to learn a lot about horror movies, but I think we're going to learn a little more about ourselves. <laughs> it's a journey into the darkest recesses of our own hearts. 
Yeah, I mean, the question is, of course, like, why did we choose this particular subgenre for our second season? Uh, Rich, you started to, to touch on that. I think that first off, our show has already morphed many times over the years, but we've basically been doing this for years now. And we started with a season about the Friday movies. It was called It's Always Friday the 13th. That and our comprehensive look at the Halloween film franchise, Every Night is Halloween. Those seasons seem to strike a chord and generate a greater following than our seasons about other franchise films, horror movies in general, or even the Haunted House movies in particular. So let's be honest, guys. I mean, part of this, it's a choice for our listeners in hopes that we can give you all what you want. I mean, we certainly have heard from people that they miss the slasher movies and, you know, we want you to support the show. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm speaking directly to you, our hardcore listeners, people who have been listening through our Haunted House season. And I know if we were all right now in the same place at the same time, it would be a fair number of people. But this show is not going to survive without your help. And this is not a telethon, folks. I'm not asking for money. Just a minute or two of effort. If you like what we do, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever else you would do that. Post about March Mad Men in any horror or movie forums that you're a member of. And of course, tell any like-minded friends about us. This thing has always been a labor of love, but we, and we want to keep doing it, but we do need to increase our audience. So please just spread the word. And if you do share the fact that you did that with us, we will thankfully acknowledge you directly and on the show. So wanted to say that. John, unlike you, I actually just want the money. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm clearly down. asking for money. John does not speak for me. John does not speak for Rich and I. We want your money. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to the money uh, later. <laughs> Yeah. What I will say is I I think, John, that we identify ourselves as, I think, very, you know, kind of serious, hardcore horror fans. We are not uh, we are not tourists to this genre. And I think we want a podcast that appeals to the hardest of hardcore horror fans. And I think when you when you think of horror, whether you're a hardcore horror fan or not, whatever the cultural identification of the horror film really is the slasher film. It takes up the most space in our cultural consciousness when we think about horror films. And why is that? I mean, that has, that's a huge question that I think is going to be really fun for us to explore as we go through this. Yeah, absolutely. Rich, like for you, you mentioned this being close to your heart. It certainly is for me as a, as a subgenre. But what's your relationship with slasher films? And what are your feelings about this subgenre? For me, it goes very deep. And I'm someone who came out to Los Angeles to you know make a living in the, in the, the film industry and, and was so inspired by, by movies I wanted to make that my life. I can honestly trace that back to being as, as young as like five or six years old. Regardless of what you want to say about my parents' parenting skills, like I remember being exposed to like Friday the 13th movies and and sort of like some of like Roger Corman style like B grade films on on cable um, as a young kid and quickly became obsessed with them. And I think that part of the reason why they appealed so well to my young reptilian brain is because, as Vic kind of alluded to, like in terms of it being like the purest form of the genre is that there it's kind of the most like base like it it really strips this thing back to basics in terms of 
when you think of horror, that is all that these films typically are about, or at least like the backbone of what all these films thrive on is terror and fear and and violence and dread in ways that are very sort of animalistic and, and easy to distill. Typically, they are less about nuance and so sometimes they're a little less about character and story as well, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is unfortunate. But, you know, but there are also those rare gems where it's like they make it work without that. And there's somewhere they do a really great job of, of, of weaving that in. So I definitely have something. This is something that's been with me my entire life and been with me for part of my cinematic experience for my entire life. And so, But I will say that there's also like, you know, the middle the middle part of my life. Like, I think I kind of drifted away from the genre and haven't revisited a lot of these in a very long time. It's definitely a subgenre that has be, that became unpopular uh, certainly for a couple of decades and has had a, a, a few resurgences, but it's something that is ripe to be revisited. And I think that there's a reason why it has a lot of uh, fans, like because it was something that was so concentrated for a period of time in the genre that, that it, it burnt out. It was the, it was, you know, it was the, it was the Beatles of its, of its, of its day as a subgenre. It came in hot, it made a big impact and then it left, but the echoes live on in its fans. I like the analogy a lot, but they're also, it's also kind of the Rolling Stones in that they're still playing to packed houses today with Halloween Kills, for example. It's also immortal. You know, not that the Rolling Stones will always be playing. That was probably their last tour, but, you know, I have a friend that just went and saw them, and that kind of blows your mind when you think that the Beatles have been gone so long. But let's not get into all of that. I like, I like your point. Uh, Vic, what are your thoughts and feelings, like, personally about this genre in relation to other genres, you know, your childhood experiences? Kind of just touch on uh, what's the wellspring of your interest in doing this season? I just want to say first off that I really think of slasher films as like the Barry Manilow um, <laughs> horror. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it starts with the Bee Gees, but eventually it, it expands into uh, its own uh, very quiet, subtle. No, that's all bullshit. To be quite honest, when as we sort of embarked on this. Uh, I would say, John, you know, when we started on the Haunted House season, you really went into it and said, look, Haunted House films aren't really my aren't really my back. There's some good movies in here and The Shining you were obviously very passionate about. We bring that baggage to this. And while I shared uh, what I assume is a lot of your personal experiences where the first horror films you find tend to be slasher films. Friday the 13th, uh, you know, one through six is on TV all the time. Or, uh, Gosh, I guess it was one through four when I was a kid that just becomes the first thing that you're exposed to. I definitely have very distinct memories of my first viewing of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was really powerful uh, and really stuck with me. That's certainly one of the films that I think really pulled me into the horror genre and, and made me want to know more and dig deeper and and find those those grubby, dark little corners. But it really wasn't long before my interest went outside of that and so I think I'm coming into it this season with the attitude of this genre has some stuff to prove to me. And I'm really anxious for us to, to have these conversations because inevitably when we do this, even when we did Friday the 13th, I mean, the first Friday the 13th is not an exceptional film. But when we had those, the, the podcast about it, really started to pull it apart and find some things in there. I remember wrapping up that first podcast and going, holy shit. There's a lot more going on in that movie than I sort of appreciated when I first watched it. So I'm looking forward to reapproaching this genre, this subgenre, 
and and coming to appreciate it a little more than I feel like I do now with you two degenerates uh, uh, holding my hand and guiding me through this. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Vic, isn't it true that uh, haunted houses were were more your bag, so to speak, right? Very much so. Yeah, we're in different uh, perspectives here, but it should be a lot of fun. I'm more like rich in this. Like this does kind of go back to my my childhood nostalgia. I grew up with these movies. It was a mainstream entry point for me into the horror genre, which obviously I came to love in general. I was a kid that I loved big iconic characters. I loved Rocky, Michael Jordan, Stephen King, Andre the Giant, the Incredible Hulk, some of those real, some of those fictional, but larger than life figures with powers that most people don't have. Jason, Freddy, and Michael might as well be comic book characters or pro wrestlers or even in their way, Mike Tyson. Now, Vic hates it when I bring up Mike Tyson because the Zoomers won't get the reference, but he was as terrifying to face in the ring as Jason Voorhees. So I just, I don't think I'm alone in being fascinated with these lone wolf characters who can't be beat. And then the other thing is that I think this is the deepest subgenre in horror, at least in film. Zombies might give uh, slashers a run for their money, but the early 80s alone pumped out literally hundreds of these movies. It's a fascinatingly rich vein of ore for us to mine, even if the nuggets of gold are going to be pretty few and far between, I think. Even with fairly narrow criteria, we would have no trouble at all coming up with 100 or even 150 of these movies that obviously belong together in terms of their, their formula, their vibe, and basic characteristics. I think the slasher subgenre really deserves a big-picture examination, establishing a hierarchy of the greats, but also the same kind of identification of the trends, tropes, and themes that we found in both the thousand-foot view of the Haunted House movies as a whole, and also as we put each one of them under the microscope. So I can't wait to put all of that in perspective with you guys and our listeners. That's been one of the revelations for me, just as we've put our toe in the water of the of the, the subgenre here is just how many of them there are. And John, everything you said about the eighties is absolutely correct. I re- really did not appreciate just the, the bottomless well of movies that were cranked out and many of which are, are not very good, but like buried in there, you find these diamonds in the rough that you're like, Holy shit. That's actually, this is actually a really good movie. And I also kind of found surprisingly in this process that I liked a lot of the nouveau slashers more than I thought I would. I think that I'm going to be kind of favoring some of them versus a lot of the old school films. I think that will be one of the, the interesting dynamics as we get into this, because even compared to the Haunted House films, I think this really is a genre that begins in the 70s, and that's one of the one of the things that we've had to talk about. Is, you know, what constitutes a slasher film? Where do you where do you where do you identify the starting point of it? But it really it hits this apex in the 80s, and then it slides down, and it never goes away. It's always part of our consciousness. We have some movies even from the last few years in here. But just like I think with the Haunted House films where we had this weird era of, you know, sort of 97 to 2007 where most of our movies came from, uh, even more concentrated is the fact that these movies are going to come from 1978 to 1988, I think, in, in really large numbers. 
Yeah, we did see a lot of Haunted House movies grouped in the same few years, but yeah, that's nothing compared to this. Well, I want to throw it back to Rich here, but it's customary at this point to ask, like, what are we drinking? So uh, let's start there. I have a, a beer that I got. It was in the back of the fridge in a, in a growler. I got it at Stout, which is a place around town here in Los Angeles. And I forgot about it, so I don't really remember what this was. I guess it was an IPA for sure, and it had something to do with a wizard. So I'm going to call it the sleeve of a wizard's robe IPA. <laughs> and I also have... Definitely, definitely has to be a modern times beer. It's, if it's got wizards and IPAs in it. That rings a bell. It was a few months ago, but that rings a bell. And I uh, also have a shot, which I haven't sampled yet, but this is the... El Silencio Mezcal that got me into a lot of trouble at VIX a few months ago, and we're not going to go into that story tonight. <laughs> I just want to say, first of all, that growlers are meant to be consumed within like two to three days. Oops. <laughs> so the fact that your, yours is several months old is in, impressive and insulting. I, I didn't um, open it, to be fair. Like, yeah, I, I, I can tell it's probably, it's not what it was when I drank it in the bar, but it's not as terrible as if I had opened it even once. I, that's for sure. I'm impressed that it has any carbonation at all. For me, I mean, guys, this is a this is sort of like a keystone moment of the entire season, so I had to kick it off the traditional way. So, of course, I've got a pizza port. Share the ride. Their collaboration with Society Brewing down in San Diego. I've been holding on to it this whole conversation just for this moment. So that sounded so good. Cheers. I did not have uh, Rich's self-control, so I have already opened mine. But I went with something that I felt was sort of situationally appropriate. This is the Founders Backwoods Bastard. Oh, that is kind of appropriate. Love it. A lot of backwoods bastards in this subgenre. Yeah. Could be, could be anything from Texas Chainsaw to Wrong Turn. The Burning, yeah. Jason, like you name it. All right. Well, our next order of business here is to talk about what was it about the first season that we just did? You know, that we've changed our format. Some people liked it from a listener perspective. Some were hesitant. But to go with the Marsh Mad Men format, which I think we all really dig pitting films against each other what was it about that experience that makes you guys want to do it with another subgenre do it all again decode the tropes uncover those new favorite moments make discoveries about both individual movies and this type of movie rich what are your thoughts on that and you know what brought you back into this madness no pun intended i mean you guys brought me back into this madness let the process of talking through these movies is as as Vic was saying with regards to Friday the 13th is is genuinely illuminating sometimes even if it comes to like your like evolving feelings about a film and really getting to drill down into what it is that you even respond to like especially the, this this process allows you to sort of quickly identify like the movies you you like from the ones you don't but then you get an opportunity to sort of like re-examine it and really kind of like question and get get your fingers around what it is that like you're just responding to. I definitely will say that in the journey so far this season, one thing I was really reminded of is like you said, is, is discovering those movies that you, that you missed. Like there's just too many of them out there. And there's so many titles that, that not only just last season, but, but going through this season where their names I heard of maybe like, you know, they were like 
VHS or DVD covers that you saw at some point, but maybe never actually saw the movie or just don't remember it or were drinking heavily through it the first time. And you get to go back and, and revisit and you're like, oh my God, like this thing is 20 years old. How have I never seen this before? Like, I love this movie. And so it's sort of like getting to capture something that otherwise would have been would have been lost to us. And so I really love getting to go back and, and just examine the genre in that way and find stuff that you really respond to that maybe you had forgotten was even there or never even knew was there. Yeah, even as someone who loves horror movies in general and slashers in particular, I was kind of blown away in the we've had months of lead up to this. And, you know, I've been casting a wide net and watching all these films and rewatching some of them that I hadn't seen in many, many years. I was just shocked that how little I really knew about this genre, like how deep it really goes, how many movies there are. I've already seen a lot of these commonalities and differences that are fascinating. I just have a whole new appreciation. We haven't even technically started, but just in our preparation for this, I, I've had my eyes opened to so many things about individual, yeah, interesting movies and things that I like and things that I don't like and, and just really rich, fascinating concepts that are challenging, even in a genre that seems so simple. There's a lot of stuff that's difficult to make sense of and that you're going to have ambivalent feeling, complex feelings about. There's a lot of darkness in this genre, guys. I mean, we love horror movies. We love darkness. But there's particularly a lot of messed up psychological stuff in, in slasher films that I'm looking forward to honestly and penetratingly discuss with you guys. And, and hopefully it's going to be some, it's going to make for some great conversations. I've definitely noticed some stuff as, as you watch these movies, try to like up the ante, at least the, at least the ambitious ones try to like kind of up the ante in terms of what makes it horror, you know, and the, and the kills and stuff like that. It is a weird mix of finding stuff where it's like there's a fine line between like being impressed and being offended. Yeah. Like as a, as a movie tries to explore that, I feel more polarized by this genre already than I do uh, than I did by anything in the high house genre. Yeah, a lot of these movies definitely make you want to take a, a hot shower. You know, you don't you, you feel slimy after watching some of them. And but it, it's I mean, that's part of their impact. Vic, what are your thoughts on the process and, and what you want to take from last season into this one? I definitely came back for what what brings all podcasters back to the microphone. You know, the the sound of your own voice, the, par- the, the parties, the uh, the easy money, the fast cars, the loose women. <laughs> right, right. We could, we could say no to all that, you know. Yeah, it's pretty glamorous, folks. <laughs> you know, the March Mad Men groupies are, they're getting to be a bit much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whenever I wear that t-shirt, I'm propositioned 30 times. <laughs> yeah, can't walk down the street. It's like being Leonardo DiCaprio, I assume. Um, exactly. Obviously, there were a lot of great things that came out of last season, but what I really am still impacted by uh, moved by uh, in terms of the process and, and what came of it is how much by the end of it, when we got to the final four, the shining was always, was always something that I was, had a huge impact on me and I was sort of invested in and, and that sort of stuff. But how much I came to really care about terrified and Oculus and Lake Mungo to really appreciate those films in a way that it's almost hard to compare to, to almost any other movies that I've seen. 
that the, the stuff that, that we pulled out of them, I was really emotionally invested in it. And that was, I was really surprised by that, frankly. I'm still emotionally invested in it. I'm still angry at Rich for voting for The Shining, but it's fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that part of it, that, that feeling of really connecting with a couple of the movies and then getting to, to watch them move through this process and, and feeling that connection deepen. Uh, it, like you said, John, this is a yeah. very personal process. Uh, and so I, I feel this weird personal connection now to Oculus, to Lake Mungo, to Terrified that is going to stick with me for a while. And I look forward to finding four movies out of, uh, out of this subgenre that I think will, will have that connection. I totally agree with that. You know, obviously The Shining I'd always loved. I don't think our show changed my relationship with The Shining at all, but that's just because that relationship had been so well-defined years and years before. But the other three movies, yeah, I walked away with it with just such a deep appreciation for and affinity for. We ended up with the right four movies in, in so many ways, and that was very exciting. So what's going to be different, though, about this season versus the Haunted House movies? I think I'll, I'll lead off with this. The listeners are just hearing about this season uh, recently, so I'm going to tell you we have 64 movies, not 32, twice as many films to pit against each other. That's going to change things. And also, they, they have more in common, I think, than the Haunted House movies. For that season, we basically limited the scope to a single location being haunted. Didn't have to be a house, per se, but that kind of separated the Haunted House movies versus ghost movies in general, because we actually found, when, when we started thinking about it, there's enough free-range spirit movies out there to do a, a tournament for them someday, and we might, and we would call it Roaming Ghosts or something along those lines. But haunted house movies tend to be wildly different from one another, except for certain cliches like the imaginary friends, the paranormal investigators, the seances, and, and of course, the female sleepers getting their bed sheets pulled off of them, which was my uh, least favorite <laughs> cliche. <laughs> this is a bigger field in terms of numbers, but... The vast majority of the slasher movies are about slow-walking, masked dudes stalking the horny and dispatching them one by one in viscerally unpleasant ways. That's a very narrow paradigm. So we're really going to be, this time, drilling down into how each film handles that specific shared template. How good are they at this game? Do they bring something new and interesting to the table? Obviously, our scorecards and the criteria associated with them when we do scorecards. If we do scorecards, we probably will. But anyway, that's going to be different because a haunted house movie and a slasher movie, they're very different animals. I think we notice the obligatory elements used by various haunted house movies, many of which I just listed. But here, I think we're really going to catalog and rank them because those acknowledged musts are such a huge part of what these movies are doing and what defines them. I think the biggest difference is going to be uh, just a really a, a, a lot more a tsunami of nudity. And I'm, I'm excited. For that. <laughs> you know, that's a can of worms, but uh, a lot of that drops off around 1999. And I think we're going to have a lot of movies post 1999. And, but yes. And I want to be clear, by the way, that I am being facetious in that. I have recently shown someone some of the trailers for the movies that I wrote, which John so generously plugged at the beginning of this, and realized that in two of the three films, uh, I have gratuitous 
nude scenes that I abhor because they make no sense in the context of the film. But the producers made me uh, write those scenes. So if you if you watch any of my movies, I'm sorry about that. But also, yeah, I think that's one of the distinctive things about this genre is for like you mentioned, John, for the for the the broadest part of it, uh, not so much in, in more recent films, but like it really thrives on gore and nudity and more nudity. Those are sort of the defining characteristics of the of the slasher genre, I feel like. I don't know. Would you guys would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I would. I do think that the gore and the nudity kind of start to become like noise after a while, which allows you to start like picking apart the movies on deeper characteristics. You know, I should probably put air quotes around deeper, but but still. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree that those are defining yeah. features of this genre that are that were not necessarily defining features of like nudity was rare. Uh, gore, gore was intermittent. In haunted houses, like usually they had like one good one per movie, sometimes more. Nudity was definitely rare in haunted house films. Let's not argue the the relative merits of of nudity or its place in culture <laughs> or history at this point. I, I think uh, I think there's certainly We're arguments. <laughs> there's arguments to be had, and yeah, all of that is very subjective. And um, it's it's loaded, and we'll get into it along the way. What are some of the criteria that we are using to identify the films that qualify for this tournament? I think there's always discussion about that. Anytime that we approach a season, it's what makes this a slasher? What makes that not a slasher? Is this going too far if we include that? And I think that that... That's like one of the interesting things because we're defining the genre there. So yeah, Vic, like what, what did you bring into this as in like, uh, you, you know, the definition of pornography, <laughs> you know it when you see it. Well, what, what makes yeah. a slasher movie a slasher movie? I mean, holy shit. Was this a much hairier, uh, contentious discussion than I expected it to be because it's, there is this this big field of movies that are just sort of obviously slasher films, right? We know Friday the 13th is a slasher film. We know Nightmare on Elm Street is a slasher film. We know Halloween is a slasher film. And so the the templates for those are so clear that I really went into this thinking, well, this will be really easy. And then when we started to get onto the fringes of it, you know, is Candyman a, a slasher film? Uh, is The Strangers yeah. a slasher film? Yes, we're still – these are arguments that, that we're still having, and, and we're going to save them, Rich, for the podcast <laughs> when we get into it. Um, but I think – I mean I really came down on – I feel like it, it requires a certain degree of physical isolation. It requires a group of characters that are, are being sort of stalked and killed. Uh, the, the actual antagonist – does not have to be a corporeal form um, because, you know, otherwise you don't get Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think obviously, like I said, belongs just in the uh, – by via the pornography test uh, is, is obviously one of them. But it just – boy, it just gets really, really hairy around the when – you, when you get outside of what you think of as the, the sort of core slasher films. It's a, it's a – I mean it's, it's challenging. I would say it's something that we're still working on and we're still figuring out. 
We are. And I know, Rich, you have some strong and conflicting opinions with, with, with us on some of these. Like, you've been lobbying behind the scenes for a few movies that you think fit the paradigm. So, yeah, what's the paradigm in your eyes? I mean, look, I don't argue with any of the paradigms you guys put out there. I just feel like y'all generally accept those characterizations, like the ones that Vic laid out, until they don't suit your needs anymore, and then you dismiss them. I think that ultimately, like, if you're going to try to take a genre and divide it into subgenres, then you need to be clear on what those subgenres are. And if you say, well, that doesn't fit into the slasher genre, if you can't clearly tell me why it fits into another genre and not this one, then, like, it has to have a home somewhere. And I'm not saying that because, like, I think that you have to view art that way. I'm saying that because we've chosen to break it into subgenres. So that means that you have to quantify it as a subgenre. And a lot of these films, while I agree that they're not an according to Hoyle slasher film, I think that they are more a slasher film than they are anything else. And that's a quality that has to be valued. So I also hate to see things that movies that I think bring a greater quality and a more interesting, like intellectual value to them are the movies that took the genre and really twisted it, not just by making it funny or by setting it in an unusual location or giving it quirky characters. I'm talking about people who really fucked with the general idea of how this thing works and how do you pick off characters one by one and how can we do it in a way that no one else has seen. And so like, I get it that when you kind of deviate from the norm, you guys are like, well, it's not necessarily a slasher, but like it is, it's the essence. It's the spirit of a slasher. I almost feel like you're specifically talking about final destination here. (laughs) <laughs> i mean uh, no i don't think so because like i think like like vic brought up like the strangers i think that's another good good instance there's also there's a lot of there's a lot of gateway films you know like we like we mentioned uh, i don't know if anyone mentioned or yeah you mentioned Candyman. it's like you know there's an argument and I, i'm not saying we have to have it now but like it should be had at some point in public with people <laughs> watching Vic, where it's like where it's like i it's like, okay, let's like really pick apart why does Candyman not count as a slasher, but Nightmare on Elm Street does. You know? Like they have a lot of similarities with each other. And I you know, I know that there are stylistic differences, but it's like you know, so I, I don't know. I just like I like to see a more open minded approach. To me that's what makes the genre fun. I hate seeing things very limited in approach. Well, I think one of the things that, that John and I have have discussed is really difficult because it's sort of a, a, an, an ill-defined way of looking at it. But it does seem that there is something tonal to a slasher film. That is, there's something that is not polished, that is not, I don't and, it, and it's, it's, yeah. it's, again, it's hard, to, it's hard to sort of define. John, you could probably do a better job of it than, than I could. Oh, Rich is shaking his head. Oh, man, we're oh. guys off and rolling. Rich is going to throw his beer at the computer any second. It's, 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 I mean, it's like, honestly, like this, we got to save, we got to save it for the real pod guys, because like the <laughs> thing is, there's too many specifics here to be hashed out. Like I can't, I can't call you on where you're wrong until like the gloves have been taken off and we're allowed to like talk about this stuff. I was just going to say, I am open theoretically to being convinced on final destination as this sort of, yeah, brilliant deconstruction of the slasher genre in that 
it operates the same way. Like if you made the case to me, which I think you're starting to do that, like, yeah, we have people being picked off one by one in creative ways. Ergo, it's a slasher movie. And it's like this undefined, uh, symbolic killer. I, I, I can start to, to wrap my head around it, even though it doesn't hit a lot of other criteria, but if you're challenging me to say, find another home for it, uh, I'm not going to do that right now, but I, I think I probably can. And I certainly will try as far as like what other tournament would, would final destination, would, what would be a better fit for it? But yeah, your argument, your statement that like all of these movies have to fit somewhere. Like what's the most logical, uh, home for them? 100% with you on that. So we should always have, if something is rejected, it should be almost purely on the argument, no, but don't you think this actually fits more with this type of movie? And that's, that's the reason to exclude it. But a, another reason would just be that we already have, like, this field is so large, we don't need to shoehorn in anything that could fit somewhere else. And, but I also see your point in that, like, there's going to be a sameness to so many of these. So something that feels different while kind of playing the same game, having reinvented the rules could do very well. So, yeah, it's a lot to think about. It's a very interesting conversation. Now, for me, I I think Vic touched on this. I, I think one of my guiding principles by the way, it's not that you have a bunch of people getting killed. For me, that's not it. And I, I, I don't want to already tangent on myself, but like we brought up The Strangers a couple times. And one of the reasons that some people say The Strangers isn't a slasher film is that it's essentially, even though there's, a, there's at least one random victim thrown in there, uh, it's about like two people and even one person being stalked for most of the film. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's really about the number of people involved. Um, but we could knock out the stranger for other criteria, strangers for other criteria. I just think it hits enough of the other sources or, uh, guideposts that you want to hit that it kind of, uh, it, it works for me, but we'll, you know, we can, we can touch on that more and it doesn't hit this, but I think a slasher movie is disreputable. It's not classy. It's a little trashy, a little exploitative, perhaps. And yeah, we may not always be comfortable with that, but that's kind of one of the things that define it. It's not taking itself that seriously, or if it does take itself seriously, it probably shouldn't. I like this quote. It's from a pastemagazine.com article about the 50 best slasher movies of all time. They write... What's more complicated is properly defining slasher and deciding exactly when the genre began. From the time of Universal's The Old Dark House in 1932, Hollywood has been producing films about groups of people being stalked by mysterious killers in a confined setting. And yet, we don't necessarily reevaluate that film as the first slasher. Films of the 40s and 50s, such as And Then There Were None, House of Wax, and The Bad Seed, incorporated many of the same themes. But it might be fair to say that they lacked a lurid quality, and guys, I like the word lurid when we're talking about slashers, that truly makes for a slasher. The exploitative edge and shock factor mined by true slashers such as Black Christmas and Halloween in the 70s and beyond. 
I think that that kind of grungy, low-budget, tawdry, little sleazy thing, it doesn't have to be there, but it's it goes a long way towards defining a slasher. Vic, do you agree with me on that? I think you do, but... I mean, I agree that I love the word lurid, just generally, <laughs> not even as it applies to... Uh... <laughs> it applies to slasher films. Is that a criteria I mean, I, for you? I mean, I think it sounded like it, but tell me. Yes. I mean, I think, I think it is, but it's not, I think it's not a, if it doesn't have it, like you were saying, if it doesn't have it, it's not a slasher film, but sort of you have it, you have a list of 10 boxes you have to check. And if you get six of them, you're a slasher film. And so that's one of the, you know, that's one of the, the big boxes. I think I agree with Vic's general principle. The, the only thing I was going to say is like the that gets thrown around this like the 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 sort of like the to use the drinking word of the day the the, the grubbiness of these movies to sort of be like a qualifying factor. I I like that idea, Vic, that it is a a defining characteristic, but not an requisite of these movies. Because I will say that there are a number of uh, dimension film releases from you know anywhere from 1992 to 2002 that are on this list that like none of those had like grubby qualities to them they were interested in like having shine and sheen and television actors and you know like they don't fit that that category and i i'd say that there are some good ones that aren't even necessarily like exploitative other than like the, the kills themselves so yeah i i think your 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 sense that there are a certain number of boxes and like you know this you don't necessarily have to tick off all of them, but you do it to tick off a majority. Like that is a fair way to assess this as opposed to like a rigid sort of, it has to meet all of these criteria. I do think we can apply the word lurid to any movie with Bob Weinstein's name on it, regardless of the a hundred percent. All right. I, I think we're largely in agreement there. Uh, well, Rich, do you have any criteria for what defines a slasher that, uh, that we haven't talked about so far? No, I, I guess that, I mean, I feel like you guys have, have covered it. I think everything else that comes to mind is more of a hallmark of the series or, 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 a, or a trope. Like, I, I think about, like, the concept of, like, a like a final girl. But I think that that's more of a, I don't even know if trope is, 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 is the right term, but, like, I wouldn't say that that's a, a qualifying marker. But I do think that, generally speaking, having, like, a lone survivor to some degree or another is that is is certainly like a, a quality of them but even then i wouldn't call that necessarily a requisite i think you guys have covered it pretty well i'm glad you brought that up though i mean like yeah if we're not saying i think maybe we can all say there's no true prerequisite but if there's a checklist that you need to have you know 50 or 75 percent of these to qualify that would be on there final girl final guy whatever I think I want to mention that for me, it need, the movie needs to take its kills seriously, even if they're jokey. And by that, I mean the filmmakers know that the kills are a big part of whether or not this movie is going to succeed or fail with audiences and the expectations of the viewer. The kills don't have to be original or clever necessarily. It certainly helps. But graphic murder is kind of a central part of the movie's mission statement. The kills can be funny in some way, but they also have to be memorable somehow and at least a little disturbing or otherwise we're just dealing with a dark comedy. And then the other thing is I think that a, a slasher movie has a killer who is 
a larger than life embodiment of the grim reaper, a symbolic grim reaper. It's not just a person who chooses for whatever reason to solve their problems by murder. That's another genre like thriller, for example, they have to have a symbolic element beyond just their psychology or their practical motivation to solve their problems. You have to kill just because on some level to be a slasher. And I think that's part of why it's so much scarier than any movie or story in general, where it's more that you're in my way as a motivation to kill you. It can't be, I have to kill you or I'm ruined somehow. I'll go to jail. I'll lose my empire. My wife will leave me, whatever the, whatever it is that doesn't work. You have to, what makes it scary is they just kill you because, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's certainly a randomness to it. I thought that was actually, I mean, I have stuff to say about both those points, but it's like the the latter, I think that there is a randomness to it the, that feels like no one is safe uh, in the film and that there is no sort of like rhyme or reason to like how they ended up in that situation. But I do think it's an interesting point that it's it's such a like as we've talked about these films, I think like we've called it we've called the other subgenre that I think is the closest to this. We've been calling it like grounded, which is the idea of like serial killer films or like what you call like mastermind films. And I think that that is the most important distinction because that is the thinnest line you can draw. There's definitely a level of mania and almost like cartoonish sense of random horror to these to to slashers that doesn't exist in grounded films grounded films you might be a victim because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time but in this one it's that the killer could find you no matter where you are no matter where you hid you can run from one room to another and they're going to be in that room anyways there's a sense of supernatural even when they are human killers in the slasher genre. Yeah, an inevitability or an inescapability or an invulnerability, something that kind of transcends the normal true crime kind of a thing where, you know, the the killer, the criminal slips up somehow or, you know, you kick him in the balls and he's done, you know, for example, just there there's a human frailty in other genres, uh, and or a grandiose design. Yes, slasher killers are not James Bond villains. They're not trying to have California drop off the coast so they can make a killing on real estate. Actually, now I'm talking about Lex Luthor and Superman, but you get the idea, you know? <laughs> Vic, your thoughts on this? I think, John, one of the things you touched on that I'm really most excited to to get into as we start this process is looking at the psychology of the, the characters of the, of the, the antagonists, the, the slashers, if you will, and seeing how it changes over the course of the, the genre as the genre evolves, how the psychology of the killers evolve. And I think when you look at some of the earliest examples of this, if you're talking about psycho or peeping Tom or black Christmas or Halloween, you're going to find a lot of really cool parallels with stuff that was happening in the culture around psychology and insanity and the the way we understood it. And I think that we start to see those things reflected in our horror films. But we also hit a point where we don't really want it explained. 
it needs to have, like you said, that random quality to it. It's not, it, it doesn't all need to be psychologically motivated. And in fact, is is often uh, scarier if it isn't. So finding that, that balance and that understanding and seeing how that arcs over the, the slasher genre is something that I'm really excited about. When you said that, it made me think, and we don't necessarily have to resolve this today, but like I'm still wrestling with the Final Destination thing. Could the knockout factor on Final Destination be that that's the one movie where this killer never even originated as a human being? Does there have to be some core of humanity in the slasher killer? It can't be Satan. It can't be an alien. It can't be death itself. There has to at least be every other movie, whether they're, you know, somewhat of a ghost like Freddy or whatever, uh, or, you know, ultimately Jason as a zombie or however you want to classify it. Do you need to have the fundamental root in humanity to be a slasher? Is that important? John, I'm just going to push back because I thought of this when you said it. You said that the killer should be the somehow uh, an embodiment of the Grim Reaper. And there can be no clearer embodiment of the Grim Reaper. Yeah, but than I, I understand. I mean, yeah, I, I totally get that. But there there is a distinction between being like a symbolic representation and being the actual fucking Grim Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does this mean that the uh, Monty Python's uh, uh, the uh, what's the one with the Grim Reaper in it? Is it the uh, meaning of life? The meaning of life. Yes. Is that a slasher movie? I mean, I'm being facetious, but you know, like, is the actual Grim Reaper a slasher? That's a question we need to answer. Again, John, I, 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 I fall back on what we just talked about is that that may be a box that, that doesn't get checked, but like, does it check off enough other boxes to yeah. make it fit more in this category than another one? Fair, fair. Okay. Yeah. Let's leave it there for now. Uh, let's finish up with brewing disagreements based on our respective, <laughs> <laughs> this should get, this should get spicy gentlemen. <laughs> so yeah. Um, to, to put it in context, we have each submitted a minimum of a top 50 rankings uh, of these slasher films for each of us, uh, subjective personal rankings. And we are going to reconcile those rankings. And I won't get into this tonight, but we're going to be segregating the films based on their sort of stylistic and or thematic or cultural historical commonalities. And each each regional, which if you actually follow March Madness, you would understand what I'm talking about, um, that that is where teams will emerge, or films in this case. And uh, you have to beat the, the best of your own ilk before you can proceed to face the champion of another type of film in this case. So we'll get more into that, but... We've we've each submitted our rankings, and there's some obvious differences. There's a lot of commonality, but some interesting differences of opinion in where we put a lot of these uh, similar films. Uh, I'll start with Vic. Your rankings definitely prompted some discussion. Rich, so did yours, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way about mine. But I just have to ask, like, some of your rankings, I'm wondering, is this based on your personal assessment of the films? 
based on decades of loving viewing experience and analysis. Specifically, and, and I don't hate these movies, but you're championing of Peeping Tom and Scream. Are they motivated by your true personal love of the films, which is what this tournament is supposed to be about? Or is it possible that it's the fear of offending some unseen, unheard cognoscenti who have agreed that due to their historical significance, these films are better than they objectively are? Well, now, John, historical significance is a factor right. in uh, in deciding these these sort of rankings. And I think that if you go back and listen to the podcast we did on screen, you will find that I do, in fact, have a strong personal connection to that film. So go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> so Rich and I hated it. You loved it. That wasn't entirely my memory, but okay. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. It wasn't exactly yeah. H2O though, where you will not let a bad word be said about H2O without uh, getting the flamethrower out. Well, yes. I mean, H2O obviously should be ranked number one <laughs> in all of the sub sub genres. It should, it, every film should have to be H2O before it can advance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um as far as peeping as far as peeping tom like i this gets into what i was talking about with the psychology i love the 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 feeling of the culture discovering abnormal psychology and watching that bleed into horror filmmaking uh and you see it i think you know we'll get into this but one of the the very few missteps in psycho is the closing scene when when Norman Bates is is being interviewed by the, or being explained by the, the psychiatrist? But you can feel that Hitchcock had learned all this shit about psychology and wanted to get it into a movie. And in this case, it, he sort of shoehorned a bunch of it in at the end, and it didn't work. I feel like Peeping Tom is a much better way of uh, integrating it organically into the film in a way that lays the groundwork for really specifically uh, Black Christmas, which I think sort of is, is just part of that part of that bridge, part of that arc that lands eventually on Halloween, which really kicks off uh, the slasher genre as we know it today. So I think it's a, a tremendously important film. Very well said. Very well said. Of course it was well said, John. <laughs> All right. Props to you, Vic. But I mean, I am curious. You didn't defend Scream there. Any 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 dis- <laughs> any defense for Scream? I'm gonna I'm gonna refer you again back to the three hour podcast we recorded on Scream. Okay, it's, so it, it's on the record, John. It's on the record. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. You you're you're uh, resting on your laurels. The defense rests on that one. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And it will it will certainly be dealt with in this tournament. Uh, Rich, uh, do you have any thoughts on 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 Vic's? films there and what he just said you know i'm willing to run with it i i i am ripe to visit revisit peeping tom um and so I'm, I'm open to that and like i like i like having a strong opinion about a film and i'm not above re-examining something that maybe i thought in the past i disliked except scream because we watched it very recently and i, I fucking hated it um <laughs> i thought it was a very boring film and not nearly as inventive as it seemed like it was at the time. But no, by the I same mean, token, I, I you, you never know the effects that this process has on, on things because like now we see the whole genre from a different 
bigger perspective. So for all, you know, I agree. You and I might actually like Scream more somehow. It, it, we have to be open to that possibility. It's it's, it's it is entirely possible. I mean, again, bear in mind, like I voted for The Shining last season, so it's like anything right is possible. And that was shocking. If anyone stayed with us the entire season, that was a shocking and dramatic vote. <laughs> I think what I think what, what you know what Vic points out too, like the the lineage between these films, which which I think is stronger um, than the haunted house genre, in terms of films really like influencing other films. I think that 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 through line, and what is it when they breed horses? <laughs> The lineage. Trying to think of, well, it, trying to think of what that is. I guess, I guess it's the horse lineage. Horse yeah. fucking, but, Rich. Horse fucking. <laughs> yeah, thank you. The, the horse fuckery of these movies. <laughs> the lineage of these films. I agree. You, you could trace them more closely, and so we might actually appreciate them in a in a surprisingly more like academic way than I think you might be able to appreciate some of these films. You know, just in terms of like throwing out other like potential contentions like a a surprise like contentious debate that i think erupted in the subject of like recent horror films was the the debate over whether or not any of the recent netflix fear series belongs in the competition and if so which one um right which has been a hotly contested debate well that's back to vic though (laughs) because it is back to vic yeah i don't don't say we gotta hash that out now but it's like the you know, the, I'll, I'll also mention like this is a subgenre of legacies. So you have Friday the Thirteenth, you have Halloween, you know, of Leprechaun, of course, Child's Play. Leprechaun is not in the tournament, uh, Rich. Oh, really? That's that's weird. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to update my list. Um, but you know, you have these long-running franchises that have like some more than others, like high point, high points and low points. And so picking out the what actually deserves to be in this competition is also like an, an interesting discussion point, I think. And I don't know that mm-hmm. we necessarily have any big rivalries brewing on that, but I think that that could be a potentially contentious in terms of like what the decisions we make there on to bring them in are. For me, it's all about those fringe, those fringe movies, those like maybe they're slasher, maybe they're not. Um, and also just like revisiting some things that are that are classics like i just gotta say like everything that jamie lee curtis did was not gold yeah i'm with you there i am with you there well uh rich let's uh let's pick some nits with you here buddy uh i I have a couple of uh bones of contention final girls at 10 final girls at 10 my question for that is what crack are you smoking or more accurately, how many white <laughs> wines and whiskeys did you put away the night you saw that movie? <laughs> I've seen final girls. So final girls is, is definitely one of my wife's favorite movies. And I've, I've seen it probably like every Halloween. Mm. Um, you know, honestly, like I really like the character story between the lead girl and her mom. Like, I think that as a time travel story, I know that's basically like, it's been like done before. I think like Firefly with Kevin Costner was like essentially the same storyline. Um, and Frequency with Jim Caviezel. Like, uh, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, so it's not like it hasn't been done before, but I do feel like that in terms of the genre, I really like actually like feel that like story and like the, that arc for those characters. And that's always like pulled me through. I do feel like that as far as like a horror comedy goes, it's kind of like the, one of the more like ham fisted, 
you know, I also have like Happy Death Day like high up on my list, and like I will sort of stand by that. Um, I actually think that that is an excellent way of deconstructing a slasher film without turning it into a spoof. I wouldn't say that my my list is a hundred percent final, but Final Girls is is definitely up there. Um, it was also one of the first like good deconstructions of the slasher genre that that I remember seeing, especially from the past like you know, like couple of decades. I can't remember what their exact release year on it was, but I feel like that was one of the first movies to really, to really kind of like do the whole, like take it beyond what scream did where it's like, we're just doing a horror movie, but it's like aware of what horror movies are. Like to me, it's like the first thing that took it and like, was kind of like, I guess like reappropriate the slasher genre to make a different kind of film. But, um, you know, your criticism is not totally unfounded and I might reassess its position. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I want to, you know, I, I'm being uh, colorful for podcasting purposes. I don't think it's a bad movie. It's just like if we're trying to assess the greatest slasher film of all time, that was a that was a weighty rating. Um, and I think that as a as a horror comedy, you know, that's a different sort of uh, criteria to judge it by versus the greatest slasher movie of all time. And so, yeah, while an objectively a good movie, and I don't disagree with you at all there, for me, it just fell so short on our little scorecard as far as uh, horror that that that's why I thought, yeah, you you know, you really pumped it up up the up the rankings. But I don't hate the movie at all, objectively speaking, at all. And by the way, I think that Happy Death Day, I, I'm I'm much more receptive to because I think it actually serves both goals or achieves both goals pretty well and i have to see it again of course and we'll see how it all fares but um i i think that that movie more hits the bullseye of being clever and funny and revisionist while also being a slasher movie for me at least you guys can say what you think it's like you're building a list of like 64 movies some of these we're doing from like memory some of these like we may have not Mm -hmm. seen them in a decade we know that we loved them and we still remember why right some of these we've seen recently some of them we've just seen yesterday you know and on top of that, you guys are throwing out movies that, like, I haven't necessarily seen before that I'm catching up on every day. So it's like you create this list, and at a certain point, just to move on with the podcast, we have to lock in a list of 64. And so you're kind of just doing a taking a Jackson Pollock approach where you're just, like, <laughs> making emotional decisions of, like, you're like, yep, I like this movie better than this movie, at least as far as I remember. But the thing is, is that, like, if you took our lists that we started the first season with – and looked at how what order they were in, and then if we had to reorder those by the end of the season, I bet all three of us would have completely different structures to our lists. So true. So true. Yeah, I mean, this is a exploratory and discovery process. As much as I wanted to take the time to you know go into it with like the seeds are going to be perfect, I know that's not the case. I know we're going to have, and that's part of the fun is how seeds upset higher seeds when we realize, oh shit, yeah, actually. This movie has a great rep, but this other movie that we didn't take that seriously, now that we really looked at it, is is better. And that, yeah, I don't want to completely eliminate that from the tournament because that is part of the fun, and it certainly happened last time. Uh, one more thing that Rich uh, put on his list that I think is is you know at least let's have a couple of words about it because it's an interesting subject. You ranked Psycho 2 ahead of Psycho 1, Rich. Like, just give us a few words as to 
why why you did that. Again, I'll, I'll throw out a disclaimer. I have probably haven't seen Psycho 2 in at least 10 years. I guess that at the end of the day, like, I find Psycho to be an incredible suspense film. I'd say that Psycho borders on not necessarily meeting our criteria as a slasher film. Like, I think it's a little bit of a stretch um, and would belong more in the in the grounded category. But, like, I'm not equipped to, like, really nitpick that that right now. I appreciate Psycho a lot as a suspense film. I would not say I appreciate it the same way that I appreciate the other films on this list. It's it's a little bit of a sore thumb amidst the the, the other contenders in this category. And um, I love Hitchcock. Like I will talk to you about Hitchcock, you know, for an hour. But I can't say that Psycho like stands up there in terms of like my favorites. That said, Psycho Two, like I definitely have distinct memories of it sort of being fitting into that as you said, more lurid, kind of schlocky 80s. Like, a, a good melding of the suspense that Psycho built. Like, it didn't get hacky. It didn't get bad. But it did put that, like, kind of um, that candy-colored blood sheen of yeah. the 80s onto the Psycho framework. And so I think that in terms of when you're talking about a slasher movie, I think I'm going to appreciate Psycho 2 more as a slasher movie than I would Psycho 1, which maybe I would rank higher if we're just talking about best films. I'm very excited to talk about Psycho 2 because I did watch it recently. And I think, yeah, you, you, you nailed it there. Psycho 2 exists in a world where Friday the 13th and Halloween exist. So they made a sequel to Psycho kind of wanting the audience for those later sla- actual slasher films, true slasher films. So it's a, it's a fascinating animal because yeah, partially it is just a sequel to psycho, but it also is aware of and using <laughs> not necessarily lurid. It's a studio picture, but, but no, you know, there's some luridness, but yeah, it's just like it's, it is in that hybrid realm. And so it's a really kind of fun, movie and i do really like it and i think in a, in some ways you're saying exactly what i just said to you which is you really respect psycho as a movie as i like final girls as a movie but it doesn't really hit the bullseye for a slasher movie and i i kind of feel the same way i was on the fence whether the first psycho movie hits our criteria vic you've been quiet for a while weigh in here on on anything and everything I, Rich, my real issue with your list is that <laughs> you chose to use the French spelling for high tension. Uh, I didn't do that. that. John started that. John started that. Well, I'm just saying that's a that's a little pretentious, guys. Come on. Actually, no, uh, Vic. There's a reason I did that. It's a different cut, and I've seen both of them. And the U.S. theatrical cut, which was called High Tension, has less gore than the European hot tension version, which is better. So the movie that we are considering for our tournament is Hot Tension, not High Tension. All right. Well, unless the European version cuts the movie about 10 minutes uh, earlier than the cut I saw, uh, it does not belong at number three, Rich. And I look forward to having that discussion. Ooh, you, Vic, you might be outvoted on this one, buddy, <laughs> but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, because I haven't revisited it. So don't, don't underestimate my powers of persuasion, John. True, true. <laughs> I'm not underestimating them. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts anyone had about the numbers, the the rankings, like where we where we are going into this? I'm surprised at how high Sleepaway Camp is ranked in everyone's list, <laughs> considering like it's just like it's it's not a good movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it has a charm that transcends the word good. You know, mere good or yeah. bad. It it really exists in a world where it's you can't even say it's so bad. It's good, even if that is a factor in its charm, because it does have objectively interesting and effective and unique things and good kills and like it 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 has a good scorecard even though yeah i mean it's kind of a you i i've showed it to i'll just a little backstory you know like i was at a scary movie night as they called it three or four years ago with some friends and they played that movie i hadn't really seen it it killed everyone loved it i watched i i screened it for friends a couple Halloweens ago. And now it, it's just, it's a movie that it, it entertains. Like it's so weird and batshit nuts and there's memes about it. And it, you know, it has all kinds of gender identity ramifications that are, are not really retrograde retrograde. It's, it's at least it's complicated it's it's like a really it's just its own little animal and so i i think that it's it has its place in this genre and it's also by the way spoiler it's a female killer you know and uh i think that there's that's different so i don't know like i have a hard time bearing it in the rankings i don't know if under further examination like is it going to knock off a real heavyweight of craft and skill and suspense. Maybe not, but I'm, I'm not worried that it's going to, you know, go farther than it deserves. If that makes sense. I will just say that the ending of that movie disturbed me for yeah. months to years. I put a value on yeah, that. It's, I guess that like, it's, it really stands out to me in all his, these lists of like a movie that, really like lives and dies on like 30 seconds of footage. Like if it wasn't for like 30 seconds of that movie, it almost wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be remembered. But isn't the ending of a movie so important, you know? I I mean, absolutely. I mean, don't get, don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. Like it's, it's up there in, in my list as well. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you. I just think it's a, a really unique case. Um, and I'm interested, I'm intrigued by the fact that it, made it into all of our lists like in the top 20 i think mm-hmm. yeah it's gonna have a very high seed in this tournament it's gonna be tough to knock off but yeah this is a you know obscure movie made by nobody's you know with all due respect um no stars no budget there's a lot of slasher movies like that but not a lot of them are going to be top seeds in our tournament like it might be the highest, I think it's safe to say it will be the top ranked movie of that kind in, in retrospect, because yes, Toby Hooper and John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis were all nobodies when they made their respective films, but they, you know, went on to become, it just happened to be the first movie of people that became icons. Well, the sleepaway camp crew, 
you know, other than Angela, of course, who's very much a cultural touchstone, you know, they didn't become Mike Flanagan or something like that. You know, like that, that movie did kind of, it wasn't indie. It's, it, you know, it didn't launch huge Hollywood careers, but we're, we're going to put it in a, on a level with films that they, they did exactly that. Well, I will say that looking over y'all's list, the, the thing that I'm really overwhelmed with is, is a sense of intimidation. I feel like I have spent my life watching hundreds upon hundreds of horror films. I spent the past few months watching tens and tens of horror films specifically uh, for this purpose. And yet still somehow there are many, many horror films still to be watched. And I'm finding myself uh, surprised daily uh, by choices that are on y'all's list. So I'm looking forward to continuing to kind of re-rank as we go and find discoveries and also the terrible choices that you've made so that you can be mocked relentlessly for them. Who will pick this year's 1408? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Vic, I hope Cold Prey, your number 23, isn't like that Icelandic movie you made us watch last year. (laughs) John, your your hatred for the the Scandiwegians just just bleeds through in everything you say. It's, It's really, it's kind of disturbing. Well, right now, uh, Rich is 1-0 in bringing movies to my attention because Hellfest is a winner, and I put it really fucking high in my rankings. And Vic, I am looking forward to you putting a movie in front of me that I wasn't aware of that I'm going to love. So uh, hopefully when I um, make Cold Prey happen, I will be uh, excitedly texting you how much I love it. There you go. Okay, and I hope everyone will be exciting, excitedly messaging us about how much they're excited for our show and looking forward to it. We're going to leave you with that for now, everyone. We're going to be dark for a while here as we get ready for the season and record some shows to edit for future release. But if you miss us, do feel free to reach out via social media. I'm on Twitter at John F underscore Evans. We have a Facebook group, which is probably the best place to go it's uh facebook.com front slash march madmen easy peasy any parting shots fellas rich if our if our listeners have any suggestions i know that you haven't read our full list but if you have any dark corners that you feel like might be unexplored any movies that you feel like aren't generally appreciated when people look back at the great slashers of our lifetimes please drop us a line and let us know we will check them out Absolutely. Yeah, especially if you love Halloween H2O. Drop that one right on on every page. Really, tweet at John. Actually, you uh, should because yeah. that movie is not currently in the tournament. So, uh, yeah, if you feel passionately about it, let me know. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. until next time, lock your doors, sharpen your knives, and wait for the power to go out. He's coming for you. Adios! Adios!